Follow with me as I read from God's holy word. Jesus speaking says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty and most merciful Father, we pray to you in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit that now as we hear from your word and hear what you would have us to think and be and do and feel, that you would lead us, truly. That, Lord, these would not just be words that I'm saying right now that are part of some, some kind of mechanical rote thing that I'm supposed to say, Lord, but that truly we would all desire for you to speak to us through your word. Help us, we pray. Amen. Springtime means a lot of things. For many people, it means the agony and suffering of pollen and all that comes with that. All the sneezing, the watery, itchy eyes, the mixed feelings about spring. Oh, it's so pretty, but I feel terrible. Springtime, yes, it means the, the beauty, everything opening up, just the, the delight of that. 
Springtime also means the dreaded, for some, uh, onslaught of yard work. Now, I'm very thankful that the Lord gave me so many sons because I have so many hands to help me. Actually, uh, I recently realized I have not mowed the lawn in a couple years, and that is all, all praise be to Jesus for that. But um, the Lord has blessed me and my family with a wonderful yard, and it all goes back to the people who originally built our house. They were definitely green thumbs, and they planted stuff everywhere. Uh, but then unfortunately, they sold it to a guy who, who didn't really take good care of it. So a lot of it got very overgrown. Um, it, it's got ongoing issues that I'll, it'll take me a few years to kind of catch up to. But uh, one of the, the issues that is now no longer an issue uh, my wife took care of, and it's, if, if you look out our kitchen window, there's, uh, there's a, a, an archway, a lattice, that has a wisteria vine on it. Um, now, I, I did not know that's what it was called. My wife told me that's what it's called. But you know, wisteria, it's, this, it's these green, beautiful leaves and these purple flowers, right? Uh, there's, you'll see wild wisteria everywhere, and that's amazing, but we have this one that's been cultivated. Well, it had gotten overgrown, and... Um, the first year we were in it, at one point, one of my children decided he, he knew what he was doing with the loppers, and he kind of went a little crazy, and um, I will not name names, um, but so we it had kind of a rough year, but then my wife, who has the touch, she did some pruning, and so even this morning, I was looking out the window, and it just looks amazing. It, it just, it's a, it's a thrill to, to see what it's become, thanks to the skilled handiwork of my wife, but ultimately to the Lord and for His creativity and, and all that He's brought into our world. Obviously, after what I just read from John 15, you, you see where, why I'm thinking about uh, a vine and growth and, and flowering and fruitfulness. As we're continuing through the season of Eastertide, we're here on this sixth Sunday, and as I said last week, when you get to the fifth and sixth Sunday, you've turned from thinking about the meaning of the resurrection and what Jesus accomplished and focusing on Him and His work, and you begin to turn and think about what it means for those who share in His resurrection life, for disciples, for the church. And what it means, as we'll see this morning, is fruitfulness. But in order to get there, and in order to see the, the heart of, of the passage, I think, and of the sermon this morning, we need to answer a couple of questions. So if you're taking notes, we're going to answer a couple of questions here. First question, what is the vine? What is the vine? Now, ver verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine. But I want us to get a little bit more <laughs> behind that to see what we're talking about. And like so much... Most, in fact, of the New Testament, you have to go to the Old Testament. And this imagery of a vine shows up all throughout the Old Testament, and it's especially talking about Israel. Israel is looked at as a vine. So listen to Psalm 80. You dug up a vine from Egypt. You, Lord, dug up a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it in Canaan, in Palestine. You cleared a place for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shade and the mighty cedars with its branches. It, the vine, Israel, set out sprouts toward the sea and shoots toward the river. 
So it's this imagery of Israel as a vine, uh, spreading and growing in the land, the physical land of Palestine, of Israel. But as you continue along through the Old Testament and, and learn more about this imagery of Israel as the vine, well, listen what Isaiah says in Isaiah 5. I will sing about the one I love, a song about my loved one's vineyard. The one I love had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He broke up the soil, cleared it of stones, and planted it with the finest vines. He built a tower in the middle of it and even dug out a wine press there. He expected it to yield good grapes. Verse 2, but it yielded worthless grapes. So there we're introduced to this idea that Israel was, as a vine, it was meant to bear, the people of God were meant to bear good fruit. But they failed. They were producing worthless grapes, Isaiah says. Isaiah 5, 7, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. Thank you, Isaiah, for making that very clear. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting, and he, the Lord, looked for justice. But behold, bloodshed. For righteousness. But behold, an outcry. Or one other place we looked at just a few uh, weeks or months ago. I can't even remember. Time just all squishes together in my head. I don't know how long ago it was. When we were in Hosea. And Matt was preaching from Hosea 10. Israel is a luxuriant, actually empty, but a luxuriant vine that yields its fruit. Well, what was its fruit? The more its fruit increased, the more altars he built. Not to the Lord, but to false gods. The fruit that Israel brought forth wasn't righteousness, it wasn't justice, it was idolatry. God meant for Israel to bear good fruit, but Israel failed. And that desire for Israel to bear good fruit goes all the way back to the promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 when he said, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's just a more specific way of saying the, the nations will receive the fruit that you, Israel, will produce. But Israel failed. Israel was not a blessing to the nations. Israel took part in the idolatry of the nations. So as you see all of that, think about how glorious it is to hear Jesus say in verse 1, I am the true vine. In every way that Israel failed, Jesus didn't. He did not. In every way that Israel brought forth Worthless grapes, Jesus bore good fruit, both in terms of, theologically speaking, in terms of His righteousness and obedience to the law, but then ultimately in the good fruit of His death and resurrection. Jesus says, I am the true vine. I am the vine who never fails. So that's the vine. Jesus is the vine. The, the true vine never fails. Second question then, what are the branches? What are the branches? Look at verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. 
Jesus tells the disciples, you are the branches. You are connected to me, the vine. Your life as disciples is only life if it's found in me, Jesus says. And in fact, as you go through the passage, He says, if you obey My commandments, if you abide in Me, you will bear fruit. You you will be branches filled with the life that I give. So the, the branches are disciples. Anyone who has faith in Jesus. Anyone who's connected to Him by faith in Him and what He's done. This is life. This is salvation to be a branch. But there's one more question I want us to answer before, again, getting to the heart of what, what we need to see this morning. And it's, it's sort of bringing it all together. So the third question is, what is fruit? Jesus is the vine. Disciples, both those sitting there that moment with Him and any since then and ever who will repent and believe in Jesus. Disciples are branches. Then third, what is fruit? Well, the fruit then brings together all those ideas of blessing the nations and uh, good works, the good works of righteousness and justice that Israel failed to do, that Jesus did not fail to do, but then that those who are in Jesus get to do and produce fruit. You know, that that, uh, terminology appears often in the Scriptures. You think of John the Baptist Uh, preaching in Matthew 3, he tells uh, those listening, bear fruit. Now, full stop, pause. If you just hear that, hey, bear fruit. What? See, I I think as Christians we get used to certain lingo and terminology that we don't think about how weird it sounds, but if you just walk to somebody on the street and say, hey, bear fruit, man. What? Like you're going to go pick some up at, at Ingalls or something? So, it's this odd language. Bear fruit. But it's a metaphor, right? John said, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So, what is fruit? Now, in that case, fruit is anything that comes uh, from true repentance. A thief, if he repents, Paul says in Ephesians 4, no longer steal, uh, but give generously. That's fruit fruit in keeping with repentance. And then again, in terms of fruit language in the New Testament, that most familiar of passages, the fruit of the Spirit. All of us probably have one uh, jingle or another in our head that associates with learning uh, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Uh, I I won't sing any right now because it'll be annoying and you'll get it stuck in your head, but um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I mean... Paul just throws out a bunch of really good things as, as, as ways to illustrate the fruit of the Spirit that shows up in the life of believers. So now bringing it all together, a life of fruitfulness, it comes about for those who are in Jesus because He's the true vine. And that fruitfulness, it's love It's good works, and it's mission. Right? Because the the fruitfulness of Israel was meant to bless the nations. 
So theologically speaking, uh, fruit is meant to, to be the fulfillment of God's desire to call people to Himself through His people. But then even just like practically speaking, like fruit, if, if you have an apple tree and it's bringing forth good apples, you don't sit back and look and just admire the apples. The apples bless. The apples get eaten and they give nourishment. That's what the church, the people of God, is meant to be and do. We now have, through Christ and in the power of the Spirit, we have the incredible uh, ability and privilege of bearing fruit of good works and the proclamation of the Gospel and ministries of mercy. We're empowered to do it. We're now able to do it in Christ and through the Spirit. This is an incredible privilege, an incredible blessing that we get to be what we've always what we were always meant to be. Human beings made in the image of God who flourish, who bring forth good fruit. So the question that comes from this is, how do we do it? See, when God saves you, He does not call you to sort of just sit back in a life of ease and just sort of bask in the goodness of His salvation. Notice I said just. Because you should do that. <laughs> you, you should enjoy and be blessed by and, and uh, uh, enjoy the greatness of your salvation. When Jesus says, abide in Me, yes, there's a rest and a comfort that comes from that. But when He, when he says, abide in Me, he means, rest in me, have strength in me, so that you will bear fruit. And in fact, that's exactly what he says. And really, if you, took, if you only took one verse from this whole passage that you really just held on to and even memorized and meditated on, it'd be verse 5, in my opinion. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The great missions thinker and teacher Leslie Newbegin, he said this about this passage. He said, The gracious indwelling of God with His people is not an invitation to settle down and forget the rest of the world. It is a summons to mission. So how do we do it? How do we carry out this mission? How do we bear fruit? Four ways. Four ways Christ calls His disciples, you if you're a Christian this morning, to carry out His mission. First, by abiding in Christ. By abiding or remaining or staying. The word abide is related to the word abode. It's just a vowel change, but it, uh, your abode, it's where you live. It's where you dwell. It's where you stay. It's where you... It's, it's home. And Jesus says, find home in Me. And the reason that can happen, verse 3, look there, already you are clean. 
because of the word that I've spoken to you. Those who receive the words of Jesus and believe are cleaned up. And actually the word clean is very, very similar to the word for prune. Uh, a branch that has lots of unnecessary little tendrils kind of growing up. You know, clean it off. You're clean. So friend, if you've put your faith in Christ this morning, you're clean. Whatever sins are weighing you down from this morning or last night or this past week, whatever sins are weighing you down, if you, if you are in Jesus, if you abide in Jesus, if you're looking to Him, friend, you're clean. Amen? You're clean. That's how you abide in Jesus is by seeing that you're clean and seeing that you're loved. Verse 9, As the Father has loved Me, so have I loved you. Abide in My love. Holy cow, y'all. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. This is just one verse in the middle of 17. I can't, I can't spend the time I'd love to spend on that, but as the Father has loved me, as the Father's loved me, so have I loved you. That's true of you this morning, Christian. That's how loved you are. As the Father loves the Son, He loves you. Feel it. Receive it. Don't, don't think of all the ways that you're not lovely. You're loved. You're loved. And that leads to, again, abiding in Christ. This first way we carry out the mission. We abide in Christ and we experience joy. Look at verse 11. These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be partial. Kind of okay. No, full. Full joy. Friend, do you, do you know joy? Do you, do you experience it and feel it? Or do you feel like you, you lack it? Abide in Jesus. Find your home with Him. Wait on Him. The joy will come. Full joy. We could go on but that first way we carry out the mission is by abiding in Christ. And again, I would just say if there was any verse, in, in, in especially in terms of abiding, but any verse that you really clung to this morning would be verse 5. Whoever abides in me and I, I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. That's a verse that my wife and I remind each other of all the time. We just, I, you know, Liz, remember, apart from him you can do nothing. She's like, John, remember, apart from him you can do nothing. Not a few things. Nothing. So abide in Him, and you'll bear fruit. <laughs> Second way we carry out this mission, secondly, is by gladly receiving pruning. Gladly receiving pruning. This, this one is hard. A fruit-bearing branch is only effective if it's healthy. And it's only healthy if it's regularly pruned. Verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes that it may bear more fruit. So, a little bit of uh, first century horticulture here for you. In wintertime, the gardener goes, off and goes and cuts off the dry, withered branches that are useless. Branches that over the course of the previous 
growing season, branches that became clear that they weren't really doing anything. They're only kind of sucking life from the vine without bearing any fruits. And so they need to go. They're dry, they're withered, they're dead. Uh, but then in the spring, the vine dresser, the gardener, he comes and he cuts away actually things that are good. They seem good because they seem to have life, but there's just too much. And so he cuts that away as well. So it will grow correctly. So that the right aspects of the, the branches will, will grow and flourish. So then theologically speaking, I think you can see pretty transparently, and you can meditate on this and, and see more in terms of branches that, that are cast away, well, you've got to remember it was only a couple of hours before this that Judas left the group, literally left to go betray Jesus, but because he, he really had left. He was not a branch truly connected to the vine. He didn't truly believe. He was a spurious, a false disciple. So there are those kinds of disciples and we pray, we pray that that would not be us, that we would truly believe. And it, it, it's hard. Maybe you have a friend. Uh, I was talking to someone recently who seems to be walking away from the faith, and it, it, it weighed heavy on me. It, it hurt to hear that. But it does happen. So there, there's that meaning, but then there's also this other meaning that I think uh, is is most relevant for us, and it's the way the Father prunes us. The way He works in our life. The way He brings trials. Not to harm us. Right? The, when my wife went out there to that wisteria vine and, and cut off some, you know, there were some dry, dead ones that she had to get rid of, but there were some that had some life in them. But she had to get rid of them because they were, they were going to cause problems for the overall health of the vine. So, since it's a metaphor, you don't want to drill down too far with it and try to figure out, well, was this trial, you know, what, what kind of pruning was that in my life? No, don't, don't do that. Instead, think more of, of James 1. Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you go through trials of many kinds. Not because the trials, you know, oh, I sure am glad that I had this really hard thing, this death in my family, this, this loss of a job. No, those don't give you joy, James says. It's because you know that they produce character, holiness, righteousness, fruit. It's hard to receive trials as something good. But brothers and sisters, if you're in the vine, if you're a Christian, you have this promise, it will always lead to fruit. Always. I think that the concept of finding joy in our trials, of, of gladly receiving trials, brothers and sisters, this is especially why we need each other in the church, whether it's in small groups or one-to-one or -one meetings or, or just here after church talking to each other. We need to each other to remind each other of, hey man, the trial, it, it, it's going to bring fruit. <laughs> I know it's hard to remember right now in the middle of it, but it's going to bring fruit if, you, if you'll trust the Lord to do that in your life. Third way that we, we bear fruit on mission is by, by praying in Jesus' name. Okay, not by tacking on in Jesus' name to the end of our prayers. 
It's not like a, you know, just these magic words that sometimes sounds like one word, you know, and somebody says it really fast in Jesus' name. No, it's praying in and through Jesus and what He has accomplished. Look at verse 7. If you abide in Me and My words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Verse 16. You did not choose Me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in My name, He may give it to you. Now, it should be really obvious, I think, that there is no prosperity gospel in these verses. There's no, you, you know, ask for your Ferrari, your private jet, your fancy clothing. Ask for it and you'll get it if you pray it in Jesus' name, if you really believe. It's, to me, it's so, it's so simple. It's not even hard to refute that because there are conditions even within these verses Verse 7, the condition is, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. I mean, it's the word of God. It, it, what you pray must line up with the will and words of Jesus. And then in verse 16, um, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. It's, uh, sorry, the first part of the verse, that you should go and bear fruit. It has to do with fruit bearing that pleases the Lord. So that just surface-level refuting of false gospel using of these verses. This is about praying with a view to God's glory. I mean, most simply put, I think it's praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in Heaven. Just now when we prayed it, I don't always, don't always remember to do that, but I tried to not pray hear my voice so loudly that I couldn't hear other voices. Instead, I sort of prayed it quietly and just listened to you, my brothers and sisters, praying and just thinking, okay, we all want this. Father in heaven, let your name be seen as holy. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Jesus taught his disciples to pray according to the will of God. You know, it, it's, I don't know how anybody could pray you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, and Lord, give me a million dollars. After you've just prayed for God to be honored and His name to be seen as holy, it, the Lord's Prayer is the place to start for learning to pray in Jesus' name and for His glory. Fourth and final way to bear fruit is by loving fellow disciples. By loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. By loving the church. Jesus has actually already said this earlier in the evening as He taught. John 13, 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So there was the command. But Jesus also gave a, a promise with it. That verse 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one another, for love, love for one another. Christ is revealed and made known and, and made manifest to the world by his people loving each other. Now, just so that we make it clear that love 
is not merely affection or merely an internal thing. Jesus actually makes it very clear, right? Where he says, verse 13, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Self-sacrificial love. It's setting aside your own convenience, your own comfort, your own time, your own resources to practically love your brothers and sisters, fellow disciples. Jesus, in His substitutionary, atoning death, He laid down His life for His disciples in a way that we're not, we're not called to. We don't have to because Jesus has already done it. But the supreme sacrifice of His life for His disciples serves as the model and reminder for us of how much we are to lay down for our brothers and sisters. Those who are truly abiding in Christ love the local church. Someone who says that they are a Christian, but that they're completely disconnected from a local church, I don't know their heart, but that puts a big fat question mark to me over whether or not they truly are abiding in Christ. How do you know how, how do you love your brothers and sisters if you don't won't even show up in the same building with them? And I'm talking about someone who deliberately avoids being a part of a church. I'm not talking about someone who is, is very fearful of COVID in the past year. That's a different conversation. Table that. I'm talking about someone who, as a pattern, deliberately avoids the local church. I just don't know how you show love for Christians if you won't even show up and be with them. Hebrews 10, 24, 25, let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together. It's very simple. It's actually a very low-hanging fruit that, that for a couple hours, four times a month, you would put on your calendar, church. <laughs> I'm going to prioritize on my calendar loving other disciples just by by being here, making yourself available. The, min the ministry of the pew. You know, that's a very low hanging fruit, simple way to love. We're, we're just there in your pew. You, you turn around. How, how are you? It's good to see you. Hey, I haven't met you before. What's your name? It can be uncomfortable, I understand. But that's the kind of self, that's just a small bit of self sacrifice. I mean, Jesus laid down his life for you, friends. He calls us to lay down our lives for each other. As we close, just giving us four, four ways from John 15 that Jesus shows us how to lead, how to live a fruitful life. The life of good works and mission, it begins with abiding in Christ and receiving trials as from Him, loving other disciples. I just want to close by encouraging you to be proactive in thinking about these things. Spend some time self-reflection. Lord Jesus, help me see, by Your Spirit, help me see ways that I'm not abiding in you. 
Holy Spirit, give me conviction for maybe my, a bad attitude towards trials. Holy Spirit, convict me in ways that I'm being selfish and not actively loving my brothers and sisters in Christ. Just as our wisteria vine is a source of joy and, and delight for us, in the way that any good fruit on a tree is meant to be a blessing, I pray that it would be true of us. That our life would be so filled with good works. You know, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, uh, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That we should walk in them. That we should live in them. The good works don't save us. The good works are the fruit. Coming from the root of faith, of abiding in Jesus. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, help us to look to Jesus, to be cleaned, to be saved. Help us to abide in Him and, and know that fellowship and relationship. But Lord, help us also to give ourselves fully over to You that so we would bear fruit. Take our life, Lord. Take our hands. Take our resources, our silver and gold. Lord, take it all. Use it all for Your glory. Amen.